You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Leaf Sky Episode 42. Jim Taddy with you for the next 25 minutes or so. So welcome to the Summer Cooler episode of Leaf Sky. This is what we're going to do all summer. Not going to talk at you because, you know, I don't like to do that. I like to converse. So we're going to present very shortly a conversation with Terry Koshan from the Toronto Sun But before we get there, the second round is in full swing and the action increases from game to game. This is where the contenders are separated from the pretenders. To give you some skin in the game, DraftKings will be offering free-to-play pools every day of the basketball playoffs, offering players a free shot of up to $10,000 in total prizes. That's up to ten grand in total prizes up for grabs each day. The best part of that is it's free-to-play. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to pools, choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during the day's basketball games and track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team with the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings, as you know, is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the call to action. So download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use the promo code THPN when you sign up and get your free shot at $10,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings pool page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. Promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. So it's been a while. The sting of the Leafs exit is still there. But having said that, when you look at how they exited, they weren't going to go much further anyway. I mean, you cannot win by not adjusting to what the other team is doing. And clearly that was the Leafs' play over the last three games. Montreal played a certain way. The Leafs didn't have a response. And generally, if you do that in the playoffs, you are out. And that's where the Leafs sit. Here is the promised conversation with Terry Koshan from the Toronto Sun. Okay, so Terry, based on what everybody said last week on on the exit, uh, yeah. did was there any gems there? Anything that was said that would sort of tip as to what happens next for the Leafs? Well, it's hard to say, Jim, because they say you know uh, Dubas and uh, Shanahan Radman are not touching the top four, so we're not touching forty, just a shade over forty million in salary. So that means we have. 40 to work with the rest of, with the rest of the, the team. Um, so I don't know. It, there's already word that out there that something big could happen over the summer. Well, what is that if you're not touching the top four? Is it trading Morgan Riley a year ahead of uh, his contract being up? And I don't see what else would be big on this roster other than something like that. Um, so that, that's that's the biggest thing, Jim, is, is not touching that group and then going from there. And from the looks of it, I guess, overall, what I took out of it last week was it's going to – you know, if, if you assume that a bigger thing isn't coming, then it's going to be a lot of what we saw last year, just different people. Because you're going to, now you need to restructure your, um, not restructure, you need to sign players for your bottom six. Uh, the goaltending, we'll see with Jack Campbell. Um, I think he's going to be the guy. The one area, though, that I don't, I think that they don't have to address like they did last year was the Brody-type defenseman, obviously. So I think we're set there. Right. But um, yeah. 
overall, I, I just if you're not touching the top four and you're adamant about that, the only other thing I can really see is a rally trade to, to really shake things up, or else it's not going to happen. Boy, so I mean, would you do that? I wouldn't. No. no, no, I wouldn't. No, 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 I wouldn't. But I don't know what the the, the read of the, the players read is either on that. I mean, no idea behind closing behind closed doors or um, if any overtures have been made one way or the other. I would doubt it. I mean, they love Morgan Riley. Who doesn't? I mean, this guy is you know one of the one of the one of the few players on that team. We talk about leadership, Jim. One of the few players on that team you can actually say. Uh, is captain like without the C on, on the front of his sweater? I, I wouldn't do it. No, but you know, if they're what, if they're at 67 or 68 right now, million against the cap and the, yeah. the 81 and a half, there is zero wiggle room. One thing that Kyle Dubas, I think probably the, the best quote of all of it was uh, we have to dance around the margins on the cap. No kidding. Yeah. Good luck. Okay, so just let me play devil's advocate with Riley, and I like him. Don't get me wrong, but the uh, the power play issue, if you're going to pin it on him, and I'm not suggesting you do, but but it seemed to me that they were willing to let Sandine take the upper hand in that situation. If that's what you believe, then he's of less value to you, isn't he? Perhaps, but that was the only option they had. What yeah. are you, you're not going to – I mean, you can take Matthews and put him on the second unit or Marner and switch guys around like that, but that was the one, quote-unquote, option that they thought they had. Sandine's not. Sandine is going to be a good hockey player. He's going to be a good defenseman. He's not ready to step in next year and play a Morgan Riley role. I mean, let's get serious here. Yeah, yeah. He's not. He's he's coming, but he's not there. That's that would be disrespectful to Morgan Riley to even suggest that. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, but I guess we get back to the power play. I mean, you know, we don't really know what the issue is there, but clearly there is one, and it sets off a bit of a ripple effect on on how the rest of the team performs because it's not scoring the way it should. Well, you know, not only so, not only is it not scoring and not supplying a goal every so often, which of course is good in any situation. You know, you uh, you hear a lot, Jim, the idea of the of um, getting that momentum from your power play if it doesn't score. Or, or seeing good things happening, right. not leading, bleeding to other areas. Well, certainly in the second half and and, uh, and into the playoffs, uh, it didn't happen that way. And, I, you know, it, it's hard to know what to do because you have some of the most talented players in the National Hockey League on your roster. It shouldn't be like this. Is it on Manny Malhotra? Um, to me, there's a lot more to it than, than giving Sandine a goal. I think, like, they had to do it. That's fine. Um, it didn't lead to bushels of goals in the playoffs like we saw, but uh, – they they, they got to figure it out because from what we understand, the client, the, the main cogs on it aren't going anywhere. It's going to be the same people coming back to play the power play next year. So it's all right there for you, you have to figure it out. I don't, and I don't, who knows what the answer is. I really don't know. Was there any ominous there's a sort of tone in the statements of, of the, you know, what they do with Zach Hyman? Because clearly uh, if he stays in Toronto, he's got to fit in some sort of a, salary box and i don't know how much of a compromise on, on what he's offered what do you think happens there i don't i don't know that there anything was ominous because i think it's just fact it's going to be i don't know how they do it how they yeah. I, I really don't i mean it's uh you know you can talk about moving other contracts out perhaps they lose some money to seattle say in an alex kerfoot at three and a half in the expansion draft i guess that's possible justin hall would be two million but um if he goes but i i, I don't know i i just think that you know, Zach Hyman probably didn't have, you know, he didn't have the playoff he wanted. No one did, but he, um, the second half, maybe not, it may, or maybe not even the, la- the last six weeks ever, maybe not what he really would have wanted, but uh, going into a contract here, but I still think he's going to get uh, 
some good offers from around the National Hockey League. There's already rumors involving the Edmonton Oilers. Um, so we'll see. But it's, I mean, listen, Jim, if he's starting at five, then he doesn't fit here. He just cannot fit financially. And, and you know, Dubas can can work all the magic they want. Brandon Pridham can. I'm, I'm not sure how that happens without moving something significant out. And do you, do you move out of Morgan Riley? Ahead of time, a year ahead of time, thinking you're not going to be able to resign him to resign Zach Hyman? I don't know. There's a lot of question marks here. For a team that's not touching its top four, there's still a lot of question marks. Well, and so the top four soak up 40. If you add him at the market value, that's 45 to 46 on five forwards. That gives you really no option no. for the rest it, of your roster. It doesn't. Now, thankfully, the good the good things on the blue line are, yeah, Brody and Muzzin locked up for a little while here. In the yeah. five, in the five, five and a half area, if I'm not mistaken. So that's good. Uh, that's a good starting point for them. Sandine's going to come. I like we talked about Sandine. He's not going to be expensive yet for a bit. No, excuse me, the Riley factor. I think next year, looking ahead to next year, I think the only two, three, three UFAs next year off the main roster will be Riley McKay and Jack Campbell. So, you know, a year from now, you're going to be looking at a goaltending situation as well. Jack Campbell's making one point six five, Jim. Yeah, that's not. That's a hell of a luxury now for the Leafs. I mean, that's you got one more year of that, and that's that. Especially if they if he goes and has the type of season that they hope and think he can have in 21-22. He's going to get paid a summer from now. So there's so many other things to look down the road and consider too. But uh yeah, Hyman, I just um I you know, the desire is to to play here. He's a you know, Toronto kid and everything. He's excelled here. This is the franchise that gave him his opportunity, took full advantage of it, but uh, this is unfortunately one of the byproducts of a, of a flat cap. It's going to be like that for a while from what we can tell. And um, it's one of the byproducts of having four people take up half your, your, uh, your, uh, your, the money that's allotted. So it's, you know, I, I, I don't see it happening. I really don't, which is unfortunate. Using all the powers of retrospective analysis, isn't it the failure of the Leafs team that they only had Zach Hyman and didn't find, players like him in his salary range and his original salary range shouldn't they have been acquiring guys like that along the way well i suppose but a healthy nick felino brings that for you period he played on one leg in the playoffs yeah I get that. Testament to him but I, I i think i suppose but again um you know they i still think you're kind of drawing yourself into a corner at that point too with some of these guys who you're trying to um uh but I, I just think in a guy like Nick Foligno, Jim, they, they thought that they were getting that and, and they, you know, you can't foresee injuries and all this sort of thing, but um, he would have been that player for them. He's a guy that, you know, again, it's not going to, it's not going to be able to make it work financially. I think he loved it here. I, I know that he did. Um, but if I'd like to see him in the Leaf uniform from day one, healthy of the regular season and, and see the kind of impact he has, so it'd be a good one. But yeah. Uh, I don't know that, but I, mean, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how else to do it. I, Cause I think they made the effort to do that and getting a guy like Foligno. Right? Yeah, no, I'm just saying that, like, and really it's based not on Zach Hyman or Nick Foligno. It's based on the other series that I watch. Right. And you look at these other teams, Tampa seems to find these guys, develop them, draft them, sign them, whatever. They always have a, a core group of these of these players that just will skate hard. Boston yeah. has them all the time. I mean, these are the, the Islanders are made. The entire roster is made that way. And and it just seems to me that, that, you know, when you look at the top four guys for the Leafs, that's fine. That that's, that's a plus. Nobody has that, right. but it, it's, it's the support players before it was Janssen uh, and Kapanen were guys that thought they should have been up in the top six and they weren't capable of. And, right. and now what they've done is they've added veterans and I like the veterans. I'm not crapping on those guys, but right. it just seems that they didn't 
go after younger, uh, more robust players that, that would do the foot soldier work? Well, I think the problem was you, they, they were convinced that the, that what the core needed was what they brought in. And it wasn't necessarily what you're talking about. Yeah. So you bring in, you bring in uh, the veteran experience in, in Thornton and Bogosian and, uh, and Wayne Simmons. Problem with that is, of course, is that all of them, for, for lack of a better way of putting it, were uh, reclamation projects when they signed. And you, do, you, you didn't know what you were going to get. You had, a, you had a kind of a good idea. You know, Simmons came in and said, okay, this is the healthiest I've been in three or four years. Thornton's 41, and you have a good idea of what's going to happen there. And it turned out to be a failure uh, because he, he couldn't even help on the power play, right? So yeah. my point of what you're – I know what you're getting at, but they thought they had – all you had to just to compliment that 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 top group, and you know what, Jim, um, I would argue that a guy like Ilya Mikheyev didn't take the steps forward this year that they thought he would. Yeah, only, I agree with only, that. Just just boiling down the playoffs, the only Leaf that played in every all seven games that didn't have a point in the playoffs. I mean, um, the guy works his tail off. That's fine, but there has to be something else for you at the end of the day. So I don't think he 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 took the progressive steps they wanted. They thought he would. Other players that they thought would come in and make an impact this year that, that just didn't happen. Um, Nick Robertson had a tough start with the injury. And, you know, if um, if you'd said to me last August, at the end of, or the, when the Leafs were done in the bubble last August, that a Robertson was going to be up for the Calder, I would have assumed it was, was going to be Nick because I just thought we saw that yeah. for him, not his yeah. brother. All due respect to Jason. So there are other, there, I, 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 like I said, I, I think. You know, I, I don't think they necessarily saw that as a need. Now now I think they do, because the other thing that I take out of last year with Dubas said was, you know, last year the theme, the offseason theme was um, uh, grit, physicality, experience. When he was asked right. a, a question, what do you go for? We just want to get good players, period. Now, we don't have a lot of money to do it, so there, he wasn't being overly specific, but it's uh, you do need those types that you mentioned. I mean, like you look at Tampa's, the Coleman, like you say, the Coleman's of the world, Barkley, Goodrose, these types of players. You need those guys at that age. Yeah. I don't know if I don't know how it's easy, how easy it's going to be to get those effective players. You don't have the money to do it. Well, you actually need those players. You need a steady stream of them because at some point they're going to price themselves out. So you yeah. have to have people coming up behind. I mean, that, that's really the function of the farm team. I just think that the criticism that I would level to the Leafs is they, they always seem to be going for players that would replace their top six when they don't need it because those guys are locked and sealed for years. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and you know what? They're now now there's really no choice, right? So, yeah. but to get... Uh, and again, you know, I, I think they're going to re-sign Spezza. I think that's good because he's not playing to his age. He's playing four or five years below it, which is excellent. But uh, I, I think they're in an interesting spot. I mean, what if it is a guy like Kerford they lose to uh, to um, to Seattle? I mean, that does open up some money for you, but that's good experience there. And I thought he – should he have been the second-line center in the playoffs? No, because that's, you know, that's not where he belongs in the lineup. But did he feel in admirably? Yes. But then below that, you have some thinness in the depth. Well, and he's a good example. I mean, he's a good NHL player in the right situation. I just think that what they needed as the number three center was a guy with a lot more grit 
maybe a little more size and, uh, you know, just, just somebody with a more physical presence, not uh, hitting people, but finishing off the checks. And, yeah. and I mean, that, that's how I look at that. And, and he's a nice, great hockey player. And if Seattle takes him, they'll love him. But for this team, they needed a contrast to what they already have. Well, you talk about looking back, Jim, there's a guy playing in Colorado or serving suspension right now who was that player. So yeah. Take that's right. You, you know. Yeah, that's and true. Had, yeah, that, had, uh, that had, the had him a good money. They had him a good money, but that's exactly what you're talking about in that spot. Yeah, yeah, that's right. An agitator. Yeah, yeah, and a guy who can put the puck in the net. A guy who can, when his head's on straight, plays a good hockey game. Not doing what he yeah, does. Just in the a, year. Yeah, he just you know. drifts, loses control of himself. But anyway, that's uh, that's an issue for another day. Um, yeah. So let's just go back since it's been a week and the the the, the crumbs have settled on the elimination. Um, you know, obviously the headline analysis goes to, to Matthews and Marner, mm-hmm. and this is this is not a unique experience. A lot of great hockey players take their time to to figure out how to win in the playoffs. But the question I want to ask you about Austin Matthews and Marner mm-hmm. is the one that uh, described Tavares, and and so everybody said that you know he had to learn to play a different way than he was accustomed to, which meant mean being defensively more responsible. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that's still in process? for Matthews and Marner and maybe that was part of their struggle? Maybe, but I don't think it was. I think they I think they excel at that part of the game now. And I don't think that that takes away from anything at the other end. I just think that uh the Canadians uh did a better job defensively, structurally. Uh Philip Deneau did a good job on that line and and, and uh you know, that's what happened. I, I the one thing I don't buy Jim is the uh you know, both Matthews and Marner talking last week about the opportunities they were getting and therefore being a little bit um encouraged by that well let's face it there weren't many times in the seven games that we saw Matthews really unleash himself or get the get the get the room to do it right yeah I know he had 35 shots on goal and scored on one of them but we're not talking about two dozen grade a scoring chances here at Corey or sorry Corey Carey Price standing on his head um But I no, I don't think that what any any type of defensive side might have taken away from it. I mean, God, they were they were really good defensively in the series. That's the thing; they really didn't get scored on. But um, you know, I don't know. It, it's uh, the, the fact of the matter is, for me, they had to be there and they weren't because, you, like, like Sheldon Keith said at one point, your difference makers have to be your difference makers, and they weren't that for them. Maybe this is part of the growing process. I guess. I mean, we got to remember that one just turned twenty four. One will be twenty four in September. So they're still young. Their their best days, at least a decade, 12, 14 years in the NHL are ahead of them. They haven't played their best hockey yet. But, uh, you know, we got we saw what we saw in the regular season. That was legitimate, and it just didn't carry over. Well, and I, I think the best uh, sort of way to, to put a positive spin on, on, on disappointment for Leaf fans is it took until this year for William Nylander to figure that out. And yep. he's been around just slightly longer. So maybe next year is the year that everybody else figures it out. It could be. And you know what, Jim, the funny thing too is one 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 issue that came up talking with Shanahan and his availability, and, and I guess Keith and Dubas too, is this whole idea of killer instinct. I say just go out and play. Play to your yeah. ability. That's that's what because are, are you gonna tell me that the Montreal Canadians had killer instinct? I don't buy it. They won three hockey games. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't see it that way. Just go out and play. Montreal Canadiens were flat as a board during that first period of Game Seven. That wasn't killer instinct. 
Yeah. No, I think just they, they did things that worked out. I mean, that's yeah. You know, yeah. Simple like, analysis between winning and losing is uh, you do things and they work out and you win and you do things and you don't work out and you lose. I mean, that's, and that's, that's sort of a player's mentality. Well, we tried, it didn't work next right. year. We'll try again. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I just, uh, you know, and you know what's again, this is all hypothetical, but I would I would think that while they did talk about it, the players, one of the worst uh, things for them to deal with now is, is, you know, I think had they won that series, the weight of the world would have been lifted off their shoulders. And I think oh. they, I think they go and steamroll Winnipeg, all due respect to the Jets, because I would have seen that a first round win if it comes in game five, six or seven as a mini Stanley Cup, if you will, for the Leafs gym. And not that they wouldn't have wanted to win the real one that would have inspired them even more. But that weight is gone. That pressure of not winning the first round is gone. And I think they would have done good things in the round two. The one hole they would have had is Jake Muzzin. I'm not sure how they would have made up for that properly. But I just think that the, the mentality of that team would have just been completely different going into uh, game round two. I agree with you, but the stumble in, you know, that eventually cost them, if the stumble doesn't cost them and they move on to the second round, yeah. I would have been of the opinion that yes, they could beat the jets, but they could go no further than that. Oh, we don't it, know, but with this, uh, thing, yeah, I know, but, you know, but you don't, you don't know, you don't know who they're going to get. And the same old thing. I think the one thing applies is when you get to that series or in any other series, how many teams are you beating at that point? One well, doesn't matter, you know, and you like, you and I have talked, when you get to the final four, uh, we know now that, you know, um, one of the Colorado Avalanche or Las Vegas Golden Knights will not be playing. Those are the two best teams in the league. Right. So one of those is gone. A lot of good hockey teams are gone. I, I, I would say that, um, you know, we, we don't know who the Leafs would have played in the third round. But I, I think that, uh, you know, again, if, if they go through after not having after knocking on the door for all the years they did and then go and win two rounds. I don't think they're satisfied at all. And I, and I don't know that you could say anything about who they'd be playing in the third round and give that team an advantage. That's just, yeah, I, I just, I'm just basing on how I see those other teams play, but anyway, it's, it's, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's uh, fantasy at this point. Yeah. Um, a couple of other points before we say goodbye, uh, you know, the, the lack of, well, first of all, what I want to say was this is the first time, like people like to group losses, especially Leaf fans with the history lesson. Right. This is the first time that they've blown a three, one series leader or blown a, a lead as the favored team. So yeah. this is different, this is different area than, than, you know, the rallies against Boston and the failure there and, yeah. and all the, all the other stuff. So this is a new area. So I just want to make that clear. The other thing is uh, w- what still stuns me a week later is the lack of adjustment. And I know that uh, everybody's talked about this, uh, you know, literally five, six and seven are pretty well similar leaf performances mm-hmm. in a lot of respects. Mm-hmm. And the other lack of adjustment is, Okay, so they're going to stop Matthews and Marner or give them no room. What's your counter? And they're just, there never seemed to be a counter, which is kind of alarming to me. Yeah, they're, you're right. And the thing that I, that's perplexing to me is, and I'll leave game seven out of this, but in games five and six, they go down and they play good hockey to rally. Yeah. Where, where, where's that at any other time other than when you absolutely have to play that way? That's, that's what I don't understand because yeah. they, they were able to do it, Jim. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, I, game seven, I mean, what, what I find, what I would find disturbing too is, you know, I think it was either the day before or the morning of, Keith saying this is right where we want to be. Well, your team didn't play that way. They did not play that way in game seven. It, and, and you know what? Montreal didn't either. It was there for the taking. So, yeah. you know what? I, I think if you, 
that's right. I, I know the adjustment thing. I, 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 I'm like you. I don't understand it, especially when you saw when you rallied in those two games how effective you could be when you put your minds to it. And then in Game Seven, there was nothing. Well, and, and you know this. The thing about it in the playoffs is um, a team has your number or is getting away with something. You could make all the proper adjustments in Game Six and still not win that game. Right. But you would be happy that you've adjusted and they're starting to not do what they did. But there was none of that. Right. Well, there wasn't in Game Seven. But again, how do you come back in uh, those other two games without doing some of those things? It's not just sheer will. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's, you know, it remains a mystery. And, and I will just close on this thought. Yeah. Uh, the bigger mystery is what you said. You could, you could be down three, nothing in rally. You could be down yeah. two, nothing in rally. You could have a bad power play, but when you pull the goalie and you're six on five, you look like gangbusters. Yeah. I don't know what that is, but it's weird. It is weird. And, but and you know what? It, it, it's not a Maple Leaf thing that applies across the league. And hmm. in, in this case, it is a Maple Leaf thing because it's recent and we just saw it happen, but we see teams do this all the time, and why that is, I don't know. It must drive. It has to drive coaches nuts. You're looking at a guy, looking at Sheldon Keith comes into the dressing room after the first period of Game Seven and goes, "We know what we did at the end of five. We know what he did at the end of six. Where is it? Canadians aren't bringing it to us tonight. Where is it? Never came. Hmm. Nice summer. Have a good summer. Yeah. You know? Enjoy your fishing. Exactly. Go to the, you know. It's just it's it is mind boggling, but. We'll see. I mean, they're the they the, the one one last thing I would want to say, Jim, before we go is, you know, people were saying, well, why couldn't have Dubis and Keith come out or Shanahan came out last week and said, okay, well, we're going to evaluate everything and go from there. Well, it was clear that they already had because they were they were so adamant in the top four that we've evaluated. We're moving on now. We'll see where it goes. Last minute of play in this podcast. Okay, so this is going to end a little different, too. Uh, we will not be presenting Yes Guy, No Guy Awards. Sorry to possibly disappoint, although I will close off this way. A truly interesting summer awaits for Leaf fans. There's a lot of stuff that has to work out here. So I say yes, Guy, to that, because the hope is the Leafs can plow through the money issues and get things done and take another run at it in the fall. Hope you enjoyed Episode 42 of Leafs Guy. Hope you come back next week for Episode 43.